This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, former Ports outfielder Shane Keogh joins the show to discuss his playing days, his baseball background, what he's been doing since he retired, and much more. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. Shane Keogh was a, an outfielder for the Ports in 2009 and 2010, and uh, well, he's had an interesting pass since he stopped playing baseball, and I can't wait to get into that. But uh, first thing first, Shane, how are you, man? Like, uh, it's been it's been a weird year, and uh, I understand you just relocated. So thanks for coming on, dude. How you doing? Uh, doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on, Alex. This is exciting. I'm glad to see that uh, the ports live on this year, even though minor league baseball didn't really get a chance this year. Uh, but, yeah, man, 2020 uh, has been interesting for everyone. I'm sure I had a, a move from Los Angeles, California, to Jacksonville, Florida, um, you know, trying to enjoy what 2020 has offered everybody this year. And luckily, Florida is a little bit more uh, open to uh, opportunities when it comes to boundaries of leaving your home and public places and stuff like that. So it uh, hasn't been the worst year ever, uh, but I'm definitely excited to be here with you, man. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I got to do some research on you, uh, Shane, before, uh, before uh, last night before we uh, sat down to do this. And like I said, you have an interesting path after baseball. I think it's one that not many, uh, not many ex-pro athletes have taken, and I can't wait to get into that. But for for Ports fans right now who don't know, uh, you you are the founder of We Go for Two. But what is that, and what are you doing right now? What are you doing with your life? Yeah, so We Go for Two is a sustainability agency. So our focus is on promoting mutually beneficial environmental green solutions for uh, social impact and environmental impact. Uh, we want to leverage the, the impact that marketing and social media has to offer and allowing people to take their own power back when it comes to their own footprints on their communities and their environment. So we kind of represent companies and organizations and ideas similar to like a sports agent or a talent agent would. Uh, we really cultivate relationships and help organizations get from A to B um, and expand on their horizons, horizons when it comes to their technology or their ideas. So uh, it's definitely been a fun transition, a long road to yeah. this point, um, but uh, I've been enjoying it so far. Well, yeah, since we're on the subject, man, like, tell me about that road. I mean, we were joking beforehand, like, you're the first person who's been on this podcast as an IMDb page, uh, and that's a little teaser for uh, for your path since you started and since you stopped playing baseball, but it kind of seems like your interest in other fields, uh, at least, you know, reading your bio, uh, may have started with an injury in Stockton. Is that right? Yeah, so when I got done, I got released on technically, I guess it was July 3rd, but it was it was July 4th at midnight. Uh, we got oh, back no. from a uh, a road game, I believe it was in San Jose, um, you know, so drove back to Southern California, was getting ready to play some junior college basketball and found out that I had a, a knee injury that kind of had lingered on from my time with the ports. Uh, ended up having knee surgery and, um, you know, you get down the rabbit hole when you're stuck in bed for a long period of time. And yeah. I felt extremely lucky because, you know, I knew not everyone had the opportunity to have the top notch doctors, you know, my knee surgeon operated on a Kobe Bryant uh, and other Lakers. Great. So I felt very fortunate. And uh, what I did is I created a online platform. I never took it out of beta stages, but 
we built the platform, we designed the logos, we had the concept uh, called Doc Discover. I think they've now kind of since this business model exists elsewhere, but it was an idea and a place where people could locate and uh, get their input on doctors based on their actual specialties and their skill level, not on their ability to market online. So people were able to find doctors on their skill level instead of getting stuck with the first person on the top of the Google page. Um, like I said, never took it out of beta stages, but I realized then that uh, I enjoyed helping other people. I wanted to give people access to resources they may not have or may not know mm -hmm. they have. Um, and then that, again, that just trickled into everything when it came to uh, the entertainment space. Like you mentioned, my IMDb page. <laughs> I've, I've always enjoyed working with teams, you know, being an athlete my whole life, being around a locker rooms my whole life as a kid growing up. Uh, it's just all I knew was teams. I never really understood individual sports. Um, it, was, it was sports, it was teams, it was the camaraderie, mm -hmm. um, you know, and guys coming together from all walks of life. So um, that's kind of all uh, aggregated into this general idea that, you know, we're all basically fighting the same fights. They may just look a little different, uh, but if we kind of put those polarizing things aside we can we can really accomplish a lot together and so that's kind of been at the forefront of everything i've done so far well, what do you think kind of fuels the entrepreneurial spirit that you have so i mean you know like you said you founded a couple companies if i have that right right so what what, what is it about like like i said what fuels your drive to create these new things I think for me, like I said, uh, sports has kind of always been like the, the root of everything I've done. Like I said, it's just what I know. It's how I act. Um, you know, and I think when you, you look at sports, I had a coach one time uh, when I was in junior college and I was actually going to play basketball. He, uh, he would always quote, I can't remember who the coach was, but he always said this quote, he goes, you don't need tricky plays, you need tricky players. Um, and so the, the general thought was that you don't have to create all these new mechanisms. You don't have to create all these new technologies. You just have to do what you already have at your disposal differently. Um, you know, whether it's reorganizing your lineup, putting the guy in a different spot, uh, bringing him in at a different inning. Um, you know, athletes are superstitious. I mean, you put your socks inside out or you put your belt on a different way. I mean, there's sometimes it's just about seeing something that you've seen your whole life from a different perspective and you'll have a new vision you'll have a new view of that uh, and you'll mm -hmm. see different opportunities that you didn't even imagine were there just by you know getting some different perspectives so uh, for me i saw opportunities that were being wasted or i just saw opportunities that weren't able to be achieved because people were getting caught up on what they quote unquote thought they knew or the way of business is supposed to be done um, and so like I said, there was a road that was taken and uh, it had a lot of forks and a lot of detours and a lot of backpedaling to realize, okay, you know, um, there's an opportunity here because there's a lot of people who have access or have technology or have a voice and they're just missing the other parts. You know, it's like a point guard is great, but if you can get them with someone that sets good screens, now they're even more dangerous. Now you put a guy in the corner who can shoot threes. Now they're all more dangerous as a group based on their individual skills. So that's kind of been the fuel is just seeing that me myself can only do so much, but if I add my skills with an engineer and then we add our skills to a marketing team and we add our skills to weird things like a landfill or a waste to energy facility, all of a sudden now as a group, we have something unique that could really do a lot of, a lot of good. And so that's kind of been the driving force for me is there's 
always something better. There's always, there's always more people that can get involved. Um, you know, again, the athlete mantra is okay. I did okay today. Better tomorrow, better the next day, better the next day, because there's always something you did wrong. There's always something you could have done better. Uh, So for me, it's it's kind of like the Apollo 13 mentality. This is what we got. We got to just do things differently uh, to get different results. And we doesn't take uh, innovation is really kind of just making better use of what you already have. So that's kind of been the underlying force for everything. Like you said, the the athlete mindset, I think, really comes into play there. Right. Because. I mean, you just mentioned, you, you, I'm sure you hit a lot of roadblocks in, in mm-hmm. doing what you've been able to do. And, uh, boy, just being able to deal with failure and, and come back the next day, like you said, and do it even better. I mean, I can't think of much that would prepare you better for that than the grind of, of playing baseball in college or minor league baseball or what have you. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny adage you always hear in baseball is, you know, if you fail seven out of ten times, you're in the Hall of Fame. Um, so that's something as a professional athlete, especially in baseball, it's such a low percentage game. We look at, Oh, Mm -hmm. he's batting 300. If you batted 300 on your math test, you're failing miserably every way, which direction. But if you can get, if you can hit safely set a three out of 10 times, you're an all-star, you're knocking on the door of Cooperstown. Um, you know, and there's a big difference between two out of 10 and three out of 10. Um, and I think that's kind of been the, the mantra of all this is that, you know, you, you're not going to win every single day, but if you can make a little more impact one day and then a little more impact over here or help somebody just see something differently, then there's a chance that they can now help someone else see it differently. And all of a sudden, what is it? The two or three degrees of separation, the impact starts growing so rapidly. Uh, and it doesn't take that much, you know, a ballpark, is a is a is a hot a hotbed for for influence especially if you're talking about marketing and you know if Mike Trout promotes something during the game there's the likelihood of a kid wanting that product is really high if that same product is being marketed by a ticket salesman or someone on the grounds crew it's it might be less likely um, yeah. and so that's kind of what we looked at is you know just take advantage of what you have uh, and who you have um, and it's okay to not be the best at something, uh, but you could surround yourself with people that are good at it, and all of a sudden you, you got some going there. One thing I didn't find, Shane, we're talking again. We're talking to Shane Keogh, who's an outfielder with the Ports in 2009 and 2010. Uh, one thing I didn't catch on my on digging um, in my very limited research for you, because I like these conversations to be fairly free flowing, but uh, I did not know you were a basketball guy. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up uh, in high school and obviously elementary school playing basketball. Uh, I was, you know, one of the things I was, I was pretty athletic. I wasn't always very consistent and I, would, I didn't hit for average. I, I didn't always hit for power, but I could run fast. I could jump high and uh, those work really well in basketball. Um, and so no luckily when I got done playing baseball, uh, there were some opportunities to go play junior college basketball. And I was uh, playing at Orange Coast College and made the team was going to be the starting forward. And uh, you know, realized I had the knee injury, uh, mm. you know, soon into camp because you know, baseball, you can, you can kind of get away with certain things because, you know, it's, it's shorter bursts, you know, you're playing on softer surfaces and things like that. And basketball on hardwood floors, you, you can't really hide. Um, and so I, I noticed pretty quickly that something was wrong there and that's, that led to surgery. But again, that kind of was a, one of the catalysts for how all this stuff got started. So you got to be thankful for it in a weird way. Going back to high school, you know, baseball and basketball, because those two sports, at least in California, at least I know here in Northern California, really overlap. Uh, 
I mean, was that tough when you're when you're really taking a serious road, uh, you know, with with one or or both of those sports when you know, you're you're probably stopping basketball sometime in February or March when baseball has already started back up. I mean, that had you, you probably had some really busy days. Yeah, that's definitely something that happened. But uh, if it wasn't an overlap in my high school teams, it was an overlap in, uh, you know, club sports. You know, I was usually yeah. on high school team for, ba uh, for basketball. I had a club team I was on for basketball. And then for baseball, it was a club team, my high school team. And then I was playing scout ball. So that was something that was once a week. That was kind mm -hmm. of like a professional workouts. Uh, so those were uh, those were always in the mix. So yeah, it was busy times. And um, those are some of the things that probably led to my injuries was just the accumulation of, of too much time doing the same movements. Um, where a lot of guys now in the off season, they try to do things that are totally separate from what they do during the season, you know, swim, ride bikes, yeah. uh, run on the beach, you know, just something to kind of give those muscles a break, but still kind of keep the other muscles going. On that same note, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I, I, I coached high school baseball around here you know, the last few years. And I, I think it's important that kids play other sports for that e exact reason. I mean, how, you know, just in terms of the development of a body, you know, working other muscle groups, maybe not even other sports, just other activities. I mean, are you seeing that kind of come back a little bit more right now? I am. And, you know, my dad always used to make the comment when he was in high school, he played four sports. You know, he played basketball, he played football, he played baseball, and then he did golf. Um, but when I got to high school, it was like, okay, two is the max. If you're doing anything more than that, uh, the coaches were all unhappy and everyone kind of wanted to have the players to themselves. Um, but I think now, you know, obviously COVID has kind of thrown a wrinkle in all this, but, you know, yeah. prior to that, I, I think kids and parents were realizing that, you know, they want their kids to, to be more kind of functionally aware of their bodies and, you know, doing different sports or just different activities. You know, if you, play baseball and you play football, uh, maybe take up surfing in the off season or, you know, mm -hmm. ride, getting a mountain bike riding or, you know, things like that, because, you know, it's repeated pressure on the same muscles that causes these injuries. Uh, where if, you know, I swam as a kid and was swam competitively for a long time as a child. And, um, you know, I saw the, the benefits of, of doing that uh, as I got older, you know, just the longevity, the length in my limbs, you know, the explosiveness in my lower body, just because that's kind of how swimming is. You're, you're fighting current, literally, basically. Um, and so that was something that I think I wish I had more opportunity to do. I think I would love to play golf in high school. Um, they always wanted me to play football, but my parents just were like, hell no, you're not. <laughs> Mine too, <laughs> man. <laughs> Mine too. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I was scared of getting hit too, if I'm being completely transparent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you're, you see how guys struggle post-career. Um, my sister's husband played in the NFL for a number of years and, you know, torn Achilles, tore up knee, yeah. you know, hurt back. Um, you know, those are, it's just, it's just, there's no mystery. You're hitting another person as hard as you can repeatedly. Um, you know, stuff's going to happen and it's violent. And, you know, baseball is violent just in a weirder way. I always, say there's really no way to train for baseball because nothing in your training says, okay, stand in the outfield and don't move for 10 minutes and then just explode as hard as you can to chase a ball down and then go stand there again. Um, you know, throw a couple balls in between innings and then stand there and then you get a fly ball and you got to throw the game winning run on a home plate and hope your arm doesn't blow out. I mean, it's just yeah. a, 
it's different. You know, you get warm and then you stand there and then you get warm and you stand there. And it's, uh, it's funny how the game kind of just incrementally breaks you down because you play basically every day. Uh, but nobody would really realize that it's hard on your body like that. Baseball is one of those sports too, where it's funny because just because you have athletic ability does not necessarily mean you will be good at baseball. I mean, it really takes uh, some, some specific skills to, to mm-hmm. play the sport well. Yeah, and that's something that I struggled with because, you know, growing up, I was always at the top of each group I was in and speed and strength mm-hmm. and all these other things. But, yeah, when you, got to the, when you got to the big league level, and this is something Billy Bean uh, talked about in his book Moneyball, and you're, you understand his experience because he was a top-tier athlete. Uh, I mean, at that time, there was, there was nobody, uh, you know, more – more indicating of a top athlete. He was going to play football. He had all these opportunities. And then how he had his experience with Lenny Dykstra and seeing someone who wasn't as athletic, who didn't have the body and the physique he he had, but just totally controlled the game. Um, And I think that's where baseball and golf are similar is you're, you're not always reacting. It's you're, there's so much time in between to let yourself be your own worst enemy where in football and in basketball you don't have time to think because you're either going to get hit or you got to jump and the ball's bouncing away and you got to just go get it you don't have time to think where baseball you know if you miss a fly ball or misplay a, a, a ground ball or something you get to go sit there and just stew in your own thoughts again and you're praying to god that a ball doesn't come back to you or you can't wait for it to come back for you or you know, if you, you look silly on a slider and you step out and you take a practice and you're like, God, he's going to throw that slider again. And you know it's coming. You still look silly. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's really between the ears. And, and that's something I unfortunately didn't really realize and, and harness till I got done playing. That's so true. And it's, it's interesting picking your brain about it, Shane, because you obviously played at such a high level. Uh, but, I'm, you know, I'm sure you played with guys that, that – play the big leagues and you know that are maybe there right now I mean how long do you think it takes an average guy to to get that part figured out I mean I'm sure there's a hurdle uh, another hurdle to clear just strictly between the ears forgetting about the physical part uh, each level you move up each level you move up so you know I mean how how long do you think it takes the average guy and that that, there may not be a right answer to this but I I guess it's different for everybody but I'm glad you touched on that of, of how much of the game is between the ears you know like it's it's so similar to golf so yeah I guess I will ask you that question like how long do you think it takes to to figure that part out to really learn yourself and and learn what makes you tick and and you know get that part down and you I mean there's probably guys that have played in the big leagues for 15 years that are still figuring it out you know and we talked about it earlier you know obviously as as an athlete you always see that there's growth there's opportunity to get better at something on a daily basis but yeah you know you want to have kind of that basic structure and you know you'll you'll see it when you watch big league games you see the the abundance of information um and i think we have that opportunity as athletes to analysis by or paralysis by analysis you know information's great if you know what to do with it and if you don't let it take over just kind of natural instinct in that moment. Uh, But for me personally, like I said, I can, I can speak from my experience. You know, I didn't really, really get a hold of it and was able to look back at it till I was probably 26, 27 years old, which was, you know, three to four years after I got done playing. Um, I was actually in a a transition period. And when I was actually given a lot of uh, hitting lessons to younger kids and talking Mm -hmm. to parents and, and just seeing how quickly kids adjusted 
what they were doing physically by how their mind frame was. You know, the idea yeah. that they would take a swing and then look back at dad and be a little fearful. It just, you could see it in their body. Like their body wasn't activated. There was a, a lack of aggression there, a lack of confidence. And then, you know, you put a couple funny games in place and you turn some music on and you, you get the kids pumped up and then just their whole biology changes. Their, their stature, their, their posture changes, how they hold the bat, their, their look in their face. You know, it's, it's so simple, but at the same time, it, it's so complicated because it can't be that easy. You know, the, con the <laughs> idea that, you know, our, we can control a lot of the game. You know, you can go 0 for 10 and do everything right. And you can go 10 for 10 and, and I've had it where I had a 13 game hitting streak and I wasn't doing anything right, but the ball just found places and found openings and you kind of get, you know, gifted sometimes and you get a little misled where um, you, you have to just stick to your process. And uh, some guys need to get a little more physically amped up. Some guys need to sit back into the locker and put some sunglasses on and, and, and get into their mind a little bit. And yeah. they're different guys when they step out in the field, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's one, one, you know, certain amount of time, but it's just something I think uh, every athlete, every teacher, every parent, every coach needs to understand that, you know, physical gifts are one thing, but the ability to control, uh, you know, your state of mind and your thoughts is, uh, is probably one of the most powerful skills. No doubt about it. I mean, I mean you brought up golf, like even if, if you're listening to this right now and, and you didn't play baseball growing up or you didn't play past, you know, 10 years old, whatever, to where that mental part comes into it. If you do play golf, you know exactly uh -huh. what Shane's talking about here, man. I mean, right, you're, if, you, if you're on the course and you're all tightened up, you know, uh, you're not going to get the results you want. But as soon as you just let it fly, I mean, that's kind of when things start to click a little bit. It's just it's, it's such a straight line between those two sports. It's unbelievable just in terms of the yeah. mental stuff. I mean, biomechanics in general are, is really interesting. And there was a, there was a couple of books I've read and I've talked to some guys who, who focus on biomechanics and they talk about, you know, when you think about a pitcher, like humping up to try to throw harder, or you think about a guy gripping the back because he's trying to hit a home run as far as he can, you, you restrict your body's natural movement from kind of coiling and then uncoiling in the proper sequence when you know, I always made, you always see guys when they try to do the hit and run where they do like the fake bunt and then they pull back and swing guys hit home runs. It's like, how do you hit a yeah. home run when you're swinging like that? But it's because you're letting everything unfold as it's supposed to. You're not trying to rush the process. So it's, it's really interesting. And golf is definitely a perfect example of that because you're just sitting there watching that ball on the tee and you have all the control in the world and, but none at the same time. It's, it's just a, it's a strange concept. Uh, two strange sports, I think. <laughs> that is true. I, what what is the? It was Yogi Bear. I can't remember who said it. But yeah, it was. Like it was you're, try, uh, you're trying to hit a. You're trying to hit a round ball with a round bat square. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it doesn't make sense, but that's 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 what we're battling here. Where I thought you were going with that was, uh, you said baseball is ninety percent metal, twenty percent physical, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's got a lot of good ones, man. Oh, yeah. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. So, uh, it, it's interesting we talk about this because you have quite the baseball background, Shane. I mean, 
Your dad obviously pitched in the big leagues for several clubs, including the A's, uh, and also in Japan for four years, which is interesting. And I want, I want to get to that. Uh, and, and your, your grandfather was a scout for the Cardinals. So, uh, it just goes to show you folks, like, even if you're like, you know, you've been around baseball forever. I mean, this stuff does not come easy. No. And yeah, my, my grandfather played, uh, for several years and then got right into scouting. I think if you add up my measly four years and then my dad's <laughs> and my grandfather's and actually my grandfather's brother played as well. Um, you know, I think it's close to a hundred years in the game playing and scouting. Wow. So, um, you know, like I said, I've been around the game a long time. And, um, you know, I think for me, it was just seeing how easy it came to guys. Um, But -hmm. then you also just saw the guys that put in the work, you saw how they went about their days. And, um, you know, it never stopped. Um, You know, obviously, that kind of gotten away sometimes, because I, you know, took some certain certain things for granted. And yeah, uh, took my time in the game is for granted because you know it it can end at any time um but yeah you know a long time in the game and you know got over Japan and and saw how kind of different cultures approach the game and um you know it was a great experience and again it's it's something that uh is a part of who I am and I'm I'm very excited about it no doubt I, I mean we were talking about this before I hit record here Shane but uh like I the time you spent in Japan is just so interesting I know you were really young uh, but what, what did you kind of take away from, from that time you spent in, in another country? I mean, a completely different culture when your dad was there for, you know, a handful of years. I mean, what, what did you take away that you can remember from that experience? The, the one thing I, I remember most, um, it, it sounds weird, but I just noticed the, the care in which people kind of took care of their teammates, their teammates' families. Everyone made my mother feel welcome. Um, mm-hmm. I was always in the clubhouse. Um, but it was interesting to see guys chain smoking in the dugout before they had an at-bat. Um, <laughs> I've heard the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's – again, it, it, it doesn't mean you have to be the most athletic. You could be a chain-smoking drunk, but you can go up there and put that bat in that ball. And it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I wouldn't suggest any of those things, obviously, but – um, it, it just shows that this game is it's it's weird. Um, yeah. But Japan in general, like I said, uh, when I saw and kind of experienced how they treated their Kobe beef cows, um, you know, just the care and the way in which they went about things, you know, the care they took with their equipment. Um, I still have bats from that time that you go out and hit with today, and they would last the whole year. I mean, it was just the Mizuno bats. Um, you know, Randy Bass was playing there. He was a triple crown winner at one point. Um, so, I mean, it was just, it was an interesting time. And like I said, I was, I was too young to really absorb too much of the culture, but it's something that um, since I was playing, I just had, you know, Japanese umpires who remembered my father and, oh, mm-hmm. Kiyo-san. Oh, Kiyo-san. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, when he, my father passed away uh, in May this year and, you know, the outpour of support from, uh, the sports community over there in Japan and, uh, and fans who knew him and, you know, people sent artwork that they did of him mm-hmm. after he passed. It was just, uh, they never forgot. And I, I feel a part of the, the community there. And like I said, I haven't been there since probably 89 or something. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's something that I, I'm excited to go back, but, you know, I can't forget what, uh, what I experienced over there. Yeah, I, I I feel the same way. I mean, like I like I was telling you beforehand, uh, a good a friend of mine played in Japan too, and just getting over there and seeing 
uh, being a part of the culture for a little while. I mean, I, I echo those same sentiments. I mean, I didn't have the personal connection with it like, like you do, uh, but I can only imagine, you know, what that would be like. I look forward to the day you're able to get back out there, man. I mean, it's a long way from Jacksonville, that's for sure, but uh, same. it'll yeah. be a trip worth taking. Definitely. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see kind of what 2020 has in, in store for the rest of the year. And um, like I said, I'm just excited to see kind of where things go in general in the sports world and uh, around the world yeah. for sure. How about your own career? Um, you know, just coming out of, I know you went to junior college in Arizona, uh, Yavapai and, and drafted by the A's in, in 2005. W- what do you remember about your career just in terms of going from junior college to the minor leagues, like the biggest adjustments? I mean, I think for me, the adjustments were, you know, you just going from playing three or four games a week, you know, you play Saturday and Sunday, maybe every once in a while you're playing like a Tuesday or something to playing mm-hmm. six and a half days a week, uh, getting on buses, traveling around, you know, experiencing different cities, you know, it was just a, it was a, such a unique experience. You know, like I said, my first full or actually my first half season I missed cause I broke my back in the junior college world series. So when mm. I signed with the A's in 06, I actually didn't play that first half season. Uh, I didn't play, uh, I didn't put on the uniform till I got to Vancouver, which at that point was the short season team. Um, so being in Vancouver, Canada at, you know, 19 to 20 years old was, was unbelievable. And then you, I went to the Midwest and played for the King County Cougars and kind of experienced that whole area of the country. And then obviously my last two years were in Stockton, which Stockton at that point was in the middle of the economic recession and was uh, probably one of the most hardest hit cities in the entire country when it came to uh, what that real estate bubble uh, burst looked like up there. So it was a it was a unique experience to see a city it, in the struggle that it was in, but at the same time we were still having fans come out. We were still having great support, um, you know. And so I really felt that the game really was uh, important to the community then. So it's something that stuck with me all the way till now. Uh, just the power of sports really can uh, is 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 something that is important, and I don't it, I don't think losing it is something anyone could afford. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that about the stocking community because and this was supposed to be my first year with the sports chain. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I mean, 2020's robbed that uh, my first season for me as well, just like it's robbed many people of uh, many things. But um, I'm glad you said that. And people are, people are going to feel like I'm a broken record on this podcast. People listen to this religiously because I, I've mentioned this time and time again about when I was filling in for Zach Beirudi uh, last summer, uh, just the feel you get from the community. and, and uh, I guess how deep seated the the ports are in the community and baseball is in the community. It sounds like you got that same sense too in Stockton. Definitely. Um, And it's something I experienced in all my travels in minor league baseball. I always just felt that the teams were so important to the community. Um, But again, you know, I think Stockton specifically, I really saw it because, you know, people don't, I mean, if you don't realize kind of how minor leaguers live, we don't, all live in apartments. We don't rent houses. We don't have that type of money for the most part. Uh, so we would live with members of the community. Um, mm-hmm. My first year I lived with uh, a young lady and her, I think he was maybe five or six years old. Um, I lived with them. She worked at the ballpark. I think she was in like ticket sales or something. So um, her and her son shared uh, the master bedroom and I got to sleep on his little car bed, um, wow. <laughs> you know, and then the, uh, the second year I, I lived with a woman and one of my teammates, uh, her husband was in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, 
building structures for the military. He was a, a electrical engineer. So she would leave and be out of the country for, you know, two or three months out of the season. And she would leave the safety of her home and her, her, uh, her two dogs to us. People wow. she basically had never gotten to know, didn't really have any uh, time to get to know. And she trusted us with everything she owned because we were ports players. Um, and so those were things that I just really took to heart because um, that's a unique experience. You know, you get to live with yep. people in the community. You get to experience the uh, culture uh, firsthand. Uh, it's not like you're on vacation, you're in it. Um, you know, so making the drive to the park and going through the communities that were visually struggling, you could see the boarded up communities or the boarded up, um, you know, businesses that were had gone under uh, during that time. And, but at the same time, when those lights came on, you know, people were at the gates right when they opened to come watch batting practice and come get autographs. And what I loved about the ports uh, concourse was our batting cage was right there on the concourse. Yeah. yeah. So we came out of the clubhouse who walked in and started taking batting practice and kids just came over and, and got to see firsthand, you know, how we went about our days and got to be close to us and chat with us. And, you know, older kids would try to talk smack and, you know, would have to show them <laughs> up or, you know, stuff like that. It, it was, you were, you were so ingrained in what was going on there. Um, you know, and so I think at that time, especially it was, it was so necessary and to see kind of how the community's bouncing back now and what Mayor Tubbs is doing and stuff. It's really exciting. Uh, that is one feature I do love about that ballpark that I don't think we've talked about at Banner Island. That we, I don't think we've talked about on this podcast before, Shane, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, just, the, the, the accessibility to the players that you get. I mean, you, I guess you get it all over minor league baseball to a certain extent, but to be right there to see, you know, how fast the bat's moving through the zone. For like, you know, I mean, for an eight-year-old kid, for an example, to be able to see that and be able to talk to you guys, uh, I can't imagine what kind of impact that has. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like what – uh, professional sports and you know just being at a higher level in anything uh, has to offer I mean you know I remember I did a uh, I, I stood in with a uh, one of the announcers and announced the inning with him down in um, New Mexico for a triple-a game one time and just putting that headset on and walking through the inning with him out by out it was it was nerve-wracking as all hell I would have been less <laughs> nervous on the field hitting a 95 mile per fastball but talking about the the ins and outs of the game on live radio was nerve-wracking and then you know yeah. at the same point as uh, being a ports player and having kids just be able to walk up to the batting cage and you know not even see that we're swinging the bat all that hard but see that you know the first thing we do is we grab like the short bat and do one hand drills or we do the the walking drills and kind of establish momentum and you know work on hand position and under toss it's not about swinging as hard as you can but you know, the fundamentals and the process of getting ready for a game, um, you know, I think was cool for kids to see as well. No doubt about it. Hey, you brought up the, the JC World Series, and I played JC baseball too. I, I played in California, so it wasn't quite the same thing. I mean, the Final Four was a big deal, but I, I remember when I transferred to a four-year, you know, I, I ended up with playing with some guys that, that, ended, that were at College of Southern Idaho, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, how big of a deal is that? The, the Juker Wood series. series, yeah, it was uh, it was great. I mean, every team had their own hotel. They had like, you know, our name, our team names outside of the hotel, like welcome Yavapai Rough Riders, and you know, everywhere we went, you know, people knew that we were players, and 
um, it, it was cool. Like the community, the culture, the excitement for the games were just great. I mean, the stadium was packed. It didn't matter if it was the first game in the, um, you know, in the losers bracket or in, in the final game that we played in when we were uh, we lost in the final game to lose the championship. Oh, no. I mean, the places were packed, and um, after the the series was over, I mean, we had people come down to the field and. I mean, I gave every article clothing I could give away that I had on my body. I mean, people That's wanted so my cool. hat, my belt, my undershirt. Um, I mean, I gave my protective cup to somebody. I mean, everybody, <laughs> they wanted everything, my cleats, my glove, because uh, I flew to Oakland that next day uh, to sign my contract. So I knew I was going to mm -hmm. be getting all different stuff, and um, I was more than happy to give it. But, yeah, I mean, uh, that was a unique experience, because, especially for us, because we were a wood bat school. So our yeah. whole season, we played wood bats, and all of a sudden we got to metal bats. Um, I didn't really get to take advantage of that much because I broke my back the first game and didn't know that I broke it. I just thought I'd tweak my back and played the, I think, five or six more games uh, in that World Series with a broken back. And wow. um, we, lost the, we lost our first game, and then we had to kind of come all the way back through the loser's bracket, and we had to beat the – team twice in the finals and we 10 run ruled them the first game and then we we lost the second game to lose it so um, we got as many games as you could physically get in that time and uh, it was so enjoyable incredible man I mean I wish I wish I got to play I, did, I played four years of college baseball dude never played in a postseason game wow if you can believe that so uh, yeah yeah I had I have to live vicariously through you uh, and your, <laughs> your memories of that yeah. Uh, in that situation, man, that's uh, that that sounds really cool. And be interesting to know what you know where that cup is now, where that protective cup is. Now. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I think it was like a, it was a gentleman and his girlfriend. So I'm curious how that kind of transpired between no them two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was never sure, but yeah, you know, it was something to say. I did, I guess. You still follow baseball? Yeah, I uh, I know I don't really watch a lot of games during the season because there's just so many games and all that stuff. But, you know, I, it's a part of who I am and, mm -hmm. um, you know, my work, uh, I, we do focus a lot on minor league baseball because, you know, what people don't realize is there's 30 major league teams. There's 160 minor league teams and there's 5,000 plus players. They get 40 million plus fans in the seats, you know, on a normal season, obviously this season kind of threw everything up in the arms, but, um, you know, so I've, I've stayed close to the game. I've gone, been at winter meetings and, and met with, uh, minor league officials, you know, Pat O'Connor, who's the president, um, you know, all these different things. So the game is, has never left, but, um, you know, I just, I don't pick up a bat and hit anymore, but, um, you know, I definitely stay in tune to what's going on. What do you think of the playoffs here in 2020, the expanded field? I don't know if you followed it that closely, but, uh, this was a conversation I had in the last episode with Scott Bush of Sabre uh, and we were talking about the, you know, some of the new rules. I just want, I'm curious to get your take. Well, I mean, obviously this year was just so much different, but uh, it was going to be a different year regardless because they did institute some rules. Um, you know, they, they went away with the DH and a lot of situations. So I think that yeah. kind of spiked things and spiked the interest again. But um, you know, once COVID hit and, you know, just thankful that they were able to get, games in and all of a sudden you know, now we're in the world series and you know it's good to see that there's some fans at the games and um, we're getting good games and I think guys are are really invigorated because they didn't have a full season it's kind of interesting yeah. to think that you know guys are 
probably in a better position than they would have been normally because they just didn't have the wear of a full 162-plus game season. They didn't have the crazy extensive spring training, uh, which spring training is like a season in itself. Yeah, um, no kidding. You know, so I think I, I now obviously fans and players love that experience of spring training because it's just a unique atmosphere, especially in Phoenix. I've never experienced it in Florida, but Phoenix, it's so centralized to that Phoenix kind of Scottsdale area that, um, you know, it's like a giant party and you get to games. It's like, uh, it's just a rage every game. And so I think players will be excited to hopefully get some version of that again uh, next spring. Um, but yeah, man, this, this season's definitely been one to remember. And I think that they, uh, they've done a good job as players and as organizations, as, as a league in general to, uh, to not let this thing beat down the game too much and still deliver a, a hell of a product. You deliver, you, you delivered, you, you mentioned something interesting there is that these guys right now are kind of like in middle of regular season mode. If you can put it into words, like how much of a toll does it take on your body to play that many games in, you know, a handful of months? Well, so for me, again, I can just, I can speak from, speak from personal experience. I think we played 142 games in minor league ball. If, if you don't go to the playoffs, mm -hmm. I think we did that in like 148 days. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, your off days are usually like a travel day. And traveling days at minor league baseball is much different than, you know, a commercial charter jet that you would be in the big leagues. It's usually in like a charter bus, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, mm -hmm. you know, not really sure of what you're going to get when you get to certain cities and what's going to be available to eat late at night. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different type of grind. It's, you know, you got to make sure you're, you're staying hydrated and getting enough sleep because – you, you don't have the luxury of an, of an off day. You, you got to get right back to it. And the game starts at seven, but a player's day starts, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, you're at the gym, you're getting a lift in, you get to the ballpark, you do your early workouts, you do your early defensive work. Um, you know, as an outfielder, we kind of have to do the, the additional drills so pitchers can work on pickoffs and rundowns and all these other things. So we kind of have extra burns throughout the day, but, yeah, man, I, I had a, I tore my shoulder up. I had shoulder surgery. I broke my back. I had knee surgery. Those aren't football injuries. Those are baseball injuries. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, uh, it definitely gets you. But I think when you're looking at these guys now, I think you see it mostly in the arms. You see yeah. every guy coming out of the pen throwing 100 miles an hour. It's unbelievable. You know, it's, that's something that, you know, you – Minor league baseball, you saw guys all the time throwing 92, 95. I remember facing Natalie Felice, who used to be with the mm -hmm. Rangers, and he, he became a starter when he got to the big leagues, but when he was in the minor leagues, he was a closer. And, uh, you know, he was throwing close to 100 miles an hour, and the team that they played in, in um, uh, I can't remember what the stadium was called, but they had a, a casino bus or a casino boat in the river behind center field without a batter's eyes. So day games – you were trying to hit a baseball coming out of a white boat. Um, Impossible. And so, yeah, I wouldn't wish this. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy is trying to hit Natalie Feliz throwing 98 miles an hour when the ball's coming out of a white shiny boat. Um, but yeah, so the game takes its toll and I, it's just, it's a different type of beat down than, than any other sport. No doubt about it. I mean, we, we kind of covered the whole gamut there in terms of uh, how, what makes baseball unique and, uh, and what have you. Hey, Shane Keo, man, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, 
you know, I know the, the folks in Stockton remember you fondly. Uh, I loved hearing your memories about playing in Stockton as well. And, 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 uh, and the entire conversation, man, I, I really appreciate it. And, hey, if folks want to know more about, uh, you know, what you're doing with your life now, like we talked about, uh, you know, at the beginning, is, is there any way they can find out? I mean, do you, do you have a website or anything? Yeah, uh, we go for two.com. Uh, at Shane Keogh is pretty easy to find me on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that. So uh, I'm, I'm readily available. Uh, I think my phone number is probably listed somewhere around the world. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm not hard to get a hold of. I'm always happy to, to chat with people, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the 21 season, uh, getting some fans back at the game. I was supposed to attend a few games this year. Uh, so I'm excited to get back out there and uh, and get in the ballpark again. No doubt. Hey, Shane, next time you're in Stockton, man, you got an open seat next to me in the press box. All you don't right. have to put the headset on if you don't want to, but I would love to have you on again. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate it. No, uh, go Ports, man, and let's. Uh, we're hoping for a clean 21 season. Uh, the fans and the players deserve it, so uh, let's hope we get it. No doubt about it. Shane, thanks so much again, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home, anchor.fm slash Stockton ports. You can also visit the Ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.